What is going on, everybody? Jordy Cannell here. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the podcast. It is myself and Mark Higgins breaking down game one of the 2021 Stanley Cup final. We then break down the rest of the series, see what Montreal can do to try to bounce back. Can Tampa just close this thing out and run away with it? We break it all down. We look at key matchups. We also look at recent news in the hockey world. We try to predict the NHL awards that were announced a couple hours after we recorded this on Tuesday night. So enjoy what we try to predict. Spoiler alert, some of it is wrong, but that's what makes it fun. We also look at ESPN's full roster of reporters, analysts, play-by-play. We break those down. This one was a ton of fun to record. Cannot wait to hear what you all think. As always, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Search the bullpen cart on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Thunder BLG on Twitter, Thunderblog Sports on Instagram. But enjoy the episode. Enjoy the hockey. Enjoy the 4th of July weekend. And here we go. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast, the still untitled hockey podcast here on the Bullpen Card podcast feed. I, of course, am the G-Man, Jordy Cannell. Joining me this week has, he has, throughout the season, is Mr. Mark Higgins, the man, the myth, the legend. How are you, my friend? Doing well, Jordy, besides just sweating my ass off up here in Boston, uh, 94 degrees, I'm a winter guy. I love hockey. Can't wait for it to get cold again, but uh, I'm pushing through it. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat. I'm not a winter guy. I'm a summer guy, but this is uh, very, very hot, even for my love of the warm times. It's, you know, extremely humid. I'm sure it's like that in Boston, too. So even getting outside to play golf, do whatever you like to do outdoors um, is not fun. So it's good that there's at least hockey to keep coldness on the brain. The Stanley Cup Finals are well underway. We meant to get this done before Game 1. We almost did it last night, right before the puck drops. We could have our takes fresh and for you to all break it down with our, what probably would have been accurate for Game 1. We we did tweet out we had the same picks, all picking Tampa Bay. But things fell apart. Greg Piatelli not here for the Finals. He'll be here probably for like a recap maybe of the the Stanley Cup final slash off-season storylines type of thing. But it is me and Mark to break this whole thing down. Now, let's do a little cleanup of the semifinal rounds. Mark, obviously we got Tampa and Montreal here. Tampa Bay ends up going to seven games against the Islanders. I know last week was pretty crazy for you. I know you got to watch bits and pieces. But were you shocked that it went all the way to seven games against the Islanders? Um, I mean, not. I wouldn't say shocked. I, I thought Islanders would give them a series. I thought Tampa would win in six. Um, I mean, just watching the Islanders play the Bruins, you know they're uh, they have a ton of depth. They play, you know, very conservative, simple hockey, and try to counterattack you with like, a great goaltending, great defense. I'm not surprised they took Tampa to seven, especially um, winning Game Six in that in that barn that they have with those crazy fans. Um, I, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, Tampa clearly showed they can beat you in, in multiple ways, whether it's eight nothing or one nothing. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I thought I'm not surprised. Islanders, hell of a team. Um, I, I don't think the Bruins would have done much better than the Islanders did. So, yeah, I, I think the Tampa's should be in the finals. That's I can't say the same for Montreal, but we can get there. What do you think? Yeah, I too was not shocked. I I don't even think we made actual in-game predictions or number of games, but I would have said the same thing in six games, maybe in seven. You know, thinking the Islanders might pull off what they ended up doing. For those that didn't see it, Islanders grind out a game six win in overtime. You mentioned it. The crazy fans, they threw beer cans on the ice, which is, you've never really heard a true thud until you've heard a full beer get thrown onto a hard ice hockey surface. Um, But then Tampa completely shutting him down in game seven, really just showing why Tampa is the heavily favored team in each of the rounds they've played in. Uh, great goaltending from Vasilevsky, great defense from Hedman, from all of those guys, and then just stellar upfront play. Uh, Kucherov, Graydon Point, all these different guys that are right at the top of their Kalorn, Stamkos, uh, Hedman in tied for fifth. They're all getting it done consistently night in, night out. We can talk about Kucherov's incredible statistical feat that he accomplished in a minute here, but the fact that they just went into there, they grinded out a one nothing victory, and that's all they needed to do. When in previous games, you know, the game five, they won 8 nothing. I'm not even sure. We may not have even had podcasted at that point, but they really just, you, you had kind of the feeling that that series had reached its tipping point when Tampa won that game 8 nothing. The Islanders do win game six in overtime, so, you know, anything goes in game seven kind of feeling there, but Tampa really showing why the home ice advantage they have is so huge. And that's even saying that with the Islanders winning game one and, you know, grinding out a victory in game three, they, they didn't go away. They, they're hard out. Like you mentioned, seeing it from the Bruins. I know it from seeing them play the Flyers both this year and last year in the playoffs, uh, this year in the regular season, Flyers missed the playoffs. Big deal. Um, but to see what Tampa does, and we can jump into game one in a minute here, but they when they want to just really make the neutral zone cross, you, you got to cross the, the center dot at center ice instead of going along the wings. They can do that. They also can play that high speed game. So it's just not shocking to see the many faces of Tampa getting it done against an Islander team that we questioned when they were really ice cold in the middle of the regular season of does trots ball always work. So, you know, that at least lined up the way that we thought it did. The other one, that did not was Montreal taking the Clarence S Campbell bowl traditionally given out to the Western conference champion, but they take it in six games against Vegas, a series that probably will be defined by screw ups from goaltending. Mark, am I stretching too far to say that of flurry and Leonard's shortcomings in net will be what defines that series. Or do we need to give more to carry price in Montreal? Yeah, I think you can go both ways with that. I, I just – I didn't think it was the best strategy to be so inconsistent, flip-flopping goalies back and forth. Um, you got to get let a guy get into a groove there, unless he has a completely horrible game. I mean, Flurry made that huge turnover, but, I mean, he's a veteran guy. He could have responded back with a win, especially playing against a team from his home province in Quebec. I thought that was his series to win. He's proven a couple Stanley Cups to his resume, uh, maybe one. I'm not sure. We'll have to check that. But anyways, I didn't think it was a good strategy. To, to, it's not that Leonard played bad, but he didn't steal you a game or anything. And, and that's clearly 
what they needed uh, to match Carey Price. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, for those that didn't see it, it's in game two where Vegas is up 2-1 towards the end of this game. Fleury just fumbles the puck. Montreal ties it. Um, and, or no, this is in game three, excuse me. Montreal ties it, ends up winning in game, in the game in overtime. Uh, Vegas didn't go out quietly, though. They went to overtime in game four. Montreal got close to taking a commanding 3-1 lead. But Montreal going in and winning two games in Vegas, that raucous crowd they had going, something that we thought was going to be a huge disadvantage to them. The fact that they went out and won two games, two of the three games in Vegas, is humongous. And I think it gives them a huge, it gives them confidence at least. Going to Tampa, obviously they lost last night in somewhat of a convincing fashion, but you know, the first game in, in this uh, first semifinal series, if you want to call it that, um, Vegas won 4-1, and Montreal didn't quit then. They didn't quit against the Leafs. Uh, they didn't need to quit against the Jets because they uh, really showed it to them, and it is a you know a happy moment to see that their player, Evans, who got hurt from the hit from Mark Shifley, ends up returning to the ice Last night in game one of the of the series, Jake Evans is his name. If you guys forget that, huge hit that Shifley had. He got carted off the ice. Uh, all this stuff. He played last night, which you love to see. But, yeah, the, yo, I've been – I think I, I'd probably pick the Jets, too, in the second round. But I'd, we've all been dead wrong about Montreal, and they keep proving it time in, time out. So, we'll have to see what happens here. They lost 5-1 last night. Any final thoughts on the semifinals before we shift to the series, Mark? Um, I mean, just looking at these the box scores from Montreal and Vegas, you clearly can see that um, Vegas couldn't solve Carey Price. I mean, they didn't score more than three goals. I mean, the only time they scored more than three goals was game one when they won 4-1. And the rest of the way, Carey Price held them in check. And there were three OT games in the series. It was tight-knit series, just... Price, you know, is world class and stole the show. And, and Leonard and Flurry couldn't match him. I mean, Montreal's a tough team. I was at a wedding this weekend and met a bunch of fans. I mean, a lot of people there are from Montreal. Uh, they're pumped. They're, I know they're probably not too happy about how Game One went, but uh, hopefully it's a long series so we get more hockey. Uh, we can get into that now, but um, just yeah, Vegas. Shout out to them, expansion team three. Uh, they've made it to the final four three out of the last uh, three out of their four years. Is that correct? Yeah. In their four years in existence, they've made the semifinals three different times. Obviously in 2018, they went to the Stanley cup final. The second year they lost that crazy game seven to the sharks where there was the major that a lot of people don't think should have been a major. And they blew that three goal lead while that all was going on last year. They lost to Dallas in the in the semifinal round, a traditional Western conference final. And this year, heavily favored against Montreal. They lose here. Um, their superstar that they named their captain, Mark Stone, kind of a underwhelming semifinal se- series. So, you know, they have some questions coming into it. They are protected from the expansion draft. That was one of the deals that came in when Seattle was announced as the 32nd team. So, you know, it's not crazy to think that they can make it four in five years, but... Uh, if you're a Vegas fan, you got to think maybe they tinker a little more with the lineup like they did last year, but it's, you mentioned it with the vets that the goalies are, uh, you know, 
I don't think it's time to panic that you have these two older goalies that, you know, had had their shortcomings, but you know, I don't think this is the last that we've heard of the Vegas Golden Knights. No, not at all. They have so many assets, so many draft picks still. Um, they're so well-rounded, so much depth. Uh, and Leonard's not even old. I mean, he's still 29 years old, so he's not going anywhere. Um, they're going to be they're going to be there for a while. And that's that's I didn't know about that. They're protected in the expansion draft. That's kind of ludicrous since how how good they are. But um, yeah, Vegas is going to be good for a while here. We're we're going to be talking about them for years to come. Yeah, I totally agree. And yeah, it's going to be fun to see. Now, the one last thing I had, it's a little conspiracy theory. So they originally announced they weren't going to give out the Prince of Wales trophy and the Clarence Campbell Bowl. The Wales trophy given out normally to the Eastern Conference winner. The Campbell Bowl given out to the Western Conference winner. They decided to, after the semifinal was announced to be Tampa and New York, and the other semifinal that they were going to give out the Clarence Bowl to, was Vegas and Montreal, Vegas heavily favored. Mark, do you think Bettman figured that it would be Vegas versus either of those two teams, and that's why he decided to give out the trophies? Or did you just think, you know what, we need it, we should hand them out. We don't want to have this weird year. They're giving out all the other the all the other ones, so we might as well just pick two. You know, your pick one and, and the other to give out these two trophies to. I mean, I don't think I think he's got people taking care of that. He's so preoccupied with already like planning next season and you know the the Winter Classic games, the All Star game, whether we're going to play in the Olympics and and where is that going to be in China? Trying to grow the game over there. I think he's got so many so many things going on. He's not trying to you know hide something and try to sneak yeah. something with oh, with no, announcements. I, I was just I was screwed around. I tried to think it was uh he he didn't think that Montreal would be here and they used that as a chip on their shoulders. What I was trying to say. Um, but all right, let's jump into the Stanley Cup final game <laughs> one last night. We mentioned it a bunch of different times. Vegas wins it or uh, Vegas is on my mind. You mentioned the All Star game, which was announced. Vegas is hosting the All Star game next year which might be the first all-star game that looks like a regular hockey game score. Cause they're all going to be hung over as all hell. <laughs> um, for those that don't know, all-star games usually like even in the three on three tournament is incredibly high scoring, but game one Stanley cup final five, one final score from Tampa Bay, five goals on 27 shots, Montreal, only one goal on 19 shots. I mentioned it a little bit before of the many faces of Tampa, and them really clogging up the neutral zone. Montreal just really couldn't get something going last night, and Carey Price held it in there for him for a while. Uh, it was one nothing at the break, and it could have easily been two, three nothing. Um, but Mark, what do you think about this? Does Montreal? Obviously, we just mentioned it. They lost four one in the semifinal round and bounced back. What do they got to do here to give themselves a chance back into this, or is this something that? makes game two competitive and let's come home and, and give them a pounding right back. Um, yeah, there's a lot to get into this. I, I watched this game pretty closely. Um, yeah. Carey Price kept them in it with some crazy saves that breakaway toe save, uh, the glove save on uh, Stamkos when they're already down to nothing. Um, I think for them to get back into it, they got to capitalize on that second line of theirs or their top scoring line with the four Suzuki coffee. They got to be a little bit more, uh, they got to generate more chances. I thought Caulfield looked pretty good uh, at times, but um, they need to score in order for them to win. Um, and yeah, Tampa Bay, man, they just, when they start cycling the puck and, and keep you like, honed in in your own zone, 
uh, they can be pretty damn dangerous. I mean, they're so stacked. I know I've said that a hundred times, but each line can be you in different ways. Uh, Montreal has their work cut out for them. I really like their D. They call them, they call those four D the, the, uh, you heard that the four horsemen guys um, who play like 25 minutes a game, like Weber, Petrie, Edmondson, and then Shirat number eight. Yeah. Ben Shirat. I, I like their D a lot. I thought they played pretty well last night. One of them had a goal. Sherratt did, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'll get, I'll keep rambling on. So I'll let you go before I catch my breath here. <laughs> well, definitely catch it up. Now they, uh, you mentioned it. They have the four horsemen defensemen that are just incredible and have been playing awesome. Um, and you know they have a number of different dudes. They have Sergachev, who's looked great. David Savard started the game last night too with him. Um, and you mentioned that bottom six, the depth they have. Pat Maroon looking for three cups in a row. Yanni Gord, which I always thought it was Gordy because, you know, I guess he's Canadian, but all I saw it and saw the first name. But he had a goal last night and looks great. These guys are generating offense and defense, frankly, anywhere they want to. And the fact that Kucherov has now eclipsed 30 points, they're not just looking at just, you know, one line or another. Like, they, they have the ability that if somebody is slowing down, you know, whether it's the first line is getting heavily defended because, you know, it's Shea Weber, Jeff Petrie are really trying to shut down the, the point Kucherov combination in front of the net. They have that bottom six to really keep it going. And Tampa, just in general, last night, I'm trying to pull it up here. Um who doesn't do totals for hockey? That's stupid. Uh, I'm not going to add up how many blocks they had, but they had a lot of block shots in that game. That's what I was trying to get at. Uh, but again, it's just playing solid, really disciplined hockey. I know you can probably make this comment too of watching that game, for one, making Montreal have to recycle and regroup up on the blue line, forcing a lot of delayed offsides. But even then, of when Montreal was whipping the puck around, of just not having guys leave home and while they may have gotten a few shots on goal, just really closing that window, which I thought was excellent from them. And, and Vasilevsky just completely proving time and time again why he is one of the elite goaltenders in the world at the moment. Yeah, hey, Montreal may, be, may finally have somebody who can counter Carey Price. I mean, I mean, their opponent may be able to counter him. And going into that game, Montreal, what did they have? A 13-game uh, PK streak, 30 PKs in a row that they killed. Tampa, Tampa's up 4-1, end of the game. It's a 5-on-3. What do they do? They send their first unit out there. Uh, did they need to do that? No, but was it smart to? Yes, just so they can crack that streak. Now Montreal going into game two. Uh, it's in the back of their mind. Hey, we're not unstoppable in the PK anymore. I thought it was a good move by Tampa to roll out that first line. Stamkos, uh, the one-timer pass by Kucherov. Um, yeah, there's so many things to get into in this game. I mean, Kalorn's unbelievable. He looked great. And then that block shot he had, uh, and he, right, right before that, he gave a stick to Hedman, uh, blocked a shot off the toe. He's day to day for game two, but there's such a wagon. They won't even like miss him, even though he's like top 10 in the playoffs in points right now. Yeah. And this game got really chippy pretty quickly. Brendan Gallagher, your favorite got his helmet completely tossed off. Um, there was the Shea Weber slash at one point on Kucherov. And Tampa was was doing the same. There was a lot of different penalties. Uh, not a ton called in the first period, but it did get really, really chippy in the third, and penalties were starting to get called. Zero in the second. Wow. Really? Zero in the second period. Um, 
shows that how much I've looked at the box score since last night. But I loved how physical it was getting. It it gives me hope that this is going to become a fun kind of old time hockey feel of a series. I don't know. Am I wrong in thinking that, or what? What were your reactions to all of that? Yeah, that's what the announcers said after the game. They were shocked how physical it was. They loved it, but um, you can clearly see. Montreal hasn't faced anybody like Tampa yet. Before the series started, I predicted Tampa in five gentlemen sweep. But I mean, would you be shocked if they sweep them in four? Like they are so dominant. They looked so good in that game. Yeah, Montreal had their chances. Shea Weber breakaway, glove save by Vasilevsky. But um, yeah, Montreal's scoring line really needs to, you know, find a way to beat Vasilevsky and find a way. I mean, Caulfield kept getting his shots blocked. I don't think they had one clean power play breakout. I saw when's game two. Is that going to be Wednesday night? Uh, game two is yeah. Wednesday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, and then uh, Monday night. Cause they're, they're not going to play on the 4th of July. Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, sat, uh, Sunday is what the schedule is. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think Hedman had that great of a game and he's the best defenseman in the world. So, and Kucherov did nothing against the Islanders and he's starting to heat up now. And I know you mentioned he had 30 points. Here's a fun little stat. Uh, There's only three players in NHL history who've had 30 points in two post seasons in a row. Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, and now Kucherov. Holy shit. (laughs) That's incredible. I mean, this is, it's something too of like the continuation of two years ago. He has the incredible regular season. He had a point per point that Tampa Bay had in that record setting greatest regular season ever. And they all put up a dub. They get swept by Columbus. And then last year bounces back. Obviously Tampa wins the cup. And this year is, is right back on that with matching Gretzky and Lemieux is insane. It's insane to think about. Um, and the fact that, that he's on his way to, to not only putting up those individual stats, but they're you know now three games away from winning it all, which two years in a row where their regular seasons, nothing really to write home about. I mean, obviously they were, they tied Carolina and wins. They had one less win than Florida in terms of the regular season. And they ended up five points behind Carolina for the first, for the first seed. And, you know, there's a number of other teams in the other divisions, Pittsburgh, the Capitals, the Avalanche, and Vegas that had more wins than them. But nothing serious to write home about. It wasn't this runaway Tampa, despite how stacked they are. And you can say what you want about Stamkos, Kucherov, and the the salary cap maneuvering that they were able to do. And that's why they're, you know, that's why their regular season was, wasn't that good to write home about. And now that's why they're doing so well. But, like, Braden Point unreal playoffs as well um Barkley Goudreau who I feel like has continued both years kind of gone under the radar a little bit of how well he's played for them especially in that like leader of the bottom six maybe maybe throw Kalorn out there um I don't know Kalorn no Kalorn's on the second line now um yeah but I don't know they you know obviously they also have Tyler Johnson and Pat Maroon on that fourth line an incredible fourth line that's just awesome but I don't know. We, we're really stroking Tampa off a lot. 
what positives can we talk about with the Canadians? Yeah, I had more to say about Tampa, but just positives. I mean, I thought Josh Anderson looked pretty good. It was funny, him and Maroon, they look like identical twins with their hair and beards. Uh, I thought I thought he looked good. I wasn't that impressed with Stahl and Perry. You could see that they're really like, Perry slow. Looks slow, just, yeah. They yeah, both look really slow. Yeah, I, I, they got to pick that up a bit. Um, but I, I don't – like, that game was a domination, in my opinion. Carey Price is the only way – and they're in Montreal's decor is the only way that they're going to stay in this series. And they just got to keep it, keep it close and then strike on the, on the opportunities that they get. And I thought Gallagher played well. I thought Anderson played well. Weber just tosses people around out there. He could have had 10 penalties though. The rest were letting them go. Um, yeah. They, we, I got, I need more, more to see out of them to comment, but um, to Foley, I thought looked good. You can tell he's a playoff player, but that line, that line was completely shut down. Oh yeah, Suzuki to Foley Caulfield line, and I've already mentioned it, but they got to pick it up, and that's all I can really say. I mean, Tampa's fourth line I thought dominated. Montreal's didn't see much out of Deneau, Lekkinen, Kakanaimi. You know, what do you think? Any positives you saw out of Montreal? Yeah, you mentioned it. The Gallagher was really the big guy mixing it up, and and. Playing well, you know, obviously the, there's the lasting images of him getting his helmet tossed. He was pretty bloodied up. They, uh, Tampa really just showing why they're the favorites, you know, again, to continue to fucking um, to continue to stroke them off and how well they're playing. But I do think it's, uh, you know, to see what they end up doing is going to really rely on Carey Price. I think coming into game two, they got to they got to give him some form of, I don't know, some help. It's hard to say because Tampa just really moves it around. They have great, great offensive ability and, and a lot of the same stuff that we've talked about here. But they need to carry Price. They need, they need him to steal a game, frankly. But he got close last night. I'm not sure what else he has to do. He had some incredible saves. They need to figure out some way to to – get and they don't get the last change so they can't really line up this way and maybe that's why kind of going back to you saying would i be surprised if they get swept i would be just frankly thinking that either in game three the first game that canada gets to have fans in in a while uh between you know in the playoffs and and seeing it's just it feels like it's a gum it's a dumb guy take but the fact that they get two home games they're not. I don't feel like they're not going to lose one. There, they get some of the momentum just from that and being able to strategize with that last change. But in Game Two specifically, still in Tampa Bay, it's hard to see them getting any sort of offensive advantage. So they need their defensemen to step up, lock down, and for Carey Price to really steal something here because it's going to take a not even just magical performance. It's going to need to take an otherworldly dominant performance from him to to try to steal a second game which maybe they figure it out in two games they wipe their they wipe their hands hope they get their two home games as wins and try to figure this out for game five kind of like what that that um nashville pittsburgh series was going to be and then obviously pittsburgh won all three games at home and then won game six in nashville four years ago but that's really their best hope here kind of that same thing where pecorine stole a couple games in nashville they use their home ice advantage to really jump back into it. 
that might be their best hope here is that they, you know, keep game two competitive with some step ups from whether it's Petrie back in the lineup. I know he's been back for a couple games, but we have not gotten to talk about him. Shea Weber just continuing to dummy guys, but you got to watch that. They might be looking to call more penalties because of the, the chippiness and that plays to Tampa's advantage. Cause if Montreal's really hoping on slowing them down physically, which you mentioned their bottom, their bottom guys, bottom line guys are slow and that's, that's a problem. So it's going to be really interesting watching game two. I think Tampa still wins it. I think they win it in six. I do think Montreal figures something out, but if they, if Tampa takes one of those games, they get a three, one lead. It's pr- your prediction in five is probably going to be right. They're going to win that on home ice for their fans. And it'll be an absolute electric environment, which it was last night. It was buzzing before the f- drop of the puck during the opening ceremonies and all that stuff. Really cool stuff to see. Yeah, I mean, Montreal can't win in a shootout. The only way they're going to win is, is tight, close, low-scoring games. And, and the problem with that is, yeah, you have Carey Price, but then you might get a couple scoring chances. And who are you facing on the other on the other end, the other best goalie in the world, arguably? So, I mean, the only way, some hope that I see a, a recipe for success for them is like guys like Gallagher, Anderson, getting in on the forecheck, causing turnovers, those big D pinching down uh, they have some powerful shots from the point with Weber and Petrie that's that's how you're going to beat Vasilevsky um, you know keeping it in their zone causing turnovers shots from the point guys in front of the net and then capitalizing on the power play with guys like Toffoli and Caulfield using their skill um, and then they have that PK they can always rely on too yeah Tampa Bay score but I think it was a five on three or the end of maybe five on four but it just was a five on three so I think there there is some hope for them to win it's just I mean, percentages are, are and like the chance of that happening, winning this series, maybe one game, maybe two, but winning this series, I can't see it happening. It's been, it's been a great run. Um, yeah. And Montreal might get more fans for game three, but I, I mean, come on, Tampa Bay's experience. They won the cup last year. I think getting swept two years ago after having a record breaking year, winning the president's trophy, getting the most points in a season. I think, that only helped them for these next two years. Just, you know, the re- the playoffs don't start. I mean, this season doesn't start until the playoffs. They kind of took that whole, let's just make it there, coast through the season, you know, not get too high, not get too low, and then you know, turn it on when it counts. Yeah, that's a great call. And it's, it's going to be really it, – it's going to be fun to see what Tampa continues to do because you're right. They've been here before. They – got embarrassed two years ago, and they're still steamrolling through it. Montreal will have to see what how they respond here and what they end up doing because if they're not careful, this could get out of control quick. Um, I think you're right. Of They have to try to draw penalties. They have to hope that the refs are on their side in the game here. Um, they're so young, though, that watching what this team can potentially do for the, you know, the remainder of a lot of these guys' career, whether it's, you know, the Cockney Emmys, the Cole Caulfield or Cole Caulfield. I don't know if you saw P.K. Subban go on Stephen A. show and kept calling him that. I couldn't tell if he was trying to joke or not. Or Nick Suzuki, um, all this different stuff. All these different guys, rather. It'll be fun to see how they do. I mean, a guy like Tatar, who he went, he led that Vegas team or helped lead that Vegas team because so many of those guys were a part of that three years ago to that Stanley Cup final. Um, a guy that I kind of would have thought would step up and maybe he still can. Um, but he 
um, you know, it's it's tough to see how these how these guys are going to really bounce back at least in the next game. Actually, Tatar was scratched, so maybe he was is he hurt? Uh, yeah, I don't think he played. Yeah, he no, he was definitely scratched. I'm seeing this on the box score now. Um, regardless, they have a number of veterans that you think would step up and help them out, but alas, not so much. Um, I don't know. I'm still going to stick to six. Crazier things have happened. Obviously, Montreal has won their previous three series when I didn't think so. Um, so <laughs> I'm not going to change from it. I will rather have given Montreal more credit and still have Tampa winning than uh, changing it up after one game. And yeah, Montreal has veterans. They have a lot of youth. They have a great mix there. Um, you never, it's, it's so hard to get to the Stanley cup finals. I mean, this might be the easiest path that they have with the way the divisions were lined up this year. I don't know if that's going to change next year, but I mean, this is Tampa Bay, the core of their team. This is their third Stanley cup. I mean, a lot of those guys were on the team in 2015 when they lost to Chicago. I mean, all these guys that Tampa has are homegrown draft, like beside guys, Besides um, Stamkos and Hedman, who are top two picks each, I think the rest of their guys like Kucherov, Point, Sorelli, Gordy, Palat, uh, all these guys were drafted in the third and fourth rounds. So they have, they're just so like, the way they've built this team, it's unbelievable. Stevie Y might have been the guy drafting all those players. He, he did was. a hell of a job. Yeah. He's in Detroit now. Maybe he can turn it around for them, but. Tampa Bay this is like I haven't seen a team I haven't felt like about a team like this since I did with like the Red Wings and Avalanche in the 90s yeah yeah to your point nine guys on this roster that play or eight guys that played in 2015 nine that's their third Stanley Cup final I was counting Patrick Maroon who has three in a row but eight guys that were on that squad in 15 and all playing like Kucherov was a, a bottom six guy Tyler Johnson bottom six guy Hedman was a bottom was a bottom pair defenseman. Stamkos was obviously really fucking good then, and then, and then actually Kalorn too. Yeah, Kalorn was as well. Um, but I was about to say he then signed that mega deal. But no, that was the next summer because it was today. Mark, as a quick aside, is the five year anniversary of the forty five greatest forty five minutes of an off season, at least in hockey, maybe ever where you had the Taylor Hall trade for Adam Larson, Taylor Hargold in New Jersey, the one-for-one Shea Weber to Montreal, P.K. Subban to the Predators, and then Stamkos re-signing for his max contract deal, to use an NBA term, uh, with Tampa Bay, all within 45 minutes of themselves, probably right around now we're recording this, uh, right at the end of the workday. And I remember being on the train and hearing all this stuff happening. So it was probably late afternoon. So... Crazy day, not to me as crazy as 10 years ago when the Flyers traded Carter and Richards both within like a half an hour of each other. But we won't make this much about the Flyers. What else we need to talk about with this series, Mark? And I think we've we've covered a lot. Haven't, I mean, there's, we can, I could keep going all night, all day, but. So I, I mean, got we an can, interesting we, we one can, for you. We can move on. Yeah. What do you got? So in 2013, the AHL All-Star Classic, the Eastern Conference squad was coached by Binghamton's Luke Richardson and Syracuse's John Cooper. Luke Richardson, assistant coach on the Canadians, stepping up as an interim head coach while their current interim head coach 
had COVID. John Cooper, obviously the coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Eight years later, or eight years ago, were, were AHL All-Star Game coaches and are now Stanley Cup Final coaches. Wow. Crazy stuff. Um, but, yeah, if we want to move on, we certainly can. You know, we obviously have a bunch of other stuff we want to talk about. I know Greg probably has a lot of thoughts to have here, so maybe we'll we'll dive back in. Maybe it's more of a mid-series update, wrap-up, all that good stuff. But let's talk about the rest of the NHL awards. A number of them have been handed out, but a few of them still have not been. That being the Hart Trophy, the Selkie, the, which is for the best defensive forward, the Hart, the MVP, the Norris for best defenseman, the Ted Lindsay, which is basically the um, the Spirit is Spirit Award. Is that the best way to put it? Um, vote, like best. Uh, I don't know the best way to describe that one. GM of the year, the Vesna for goalie MVP. Mark, you want to do some predictions? Yeah, I mean we can get into what what's been given out so far. So Selkie was given to Barkov on Florida. He beat out Bergeron and Stone. Oh wow, that's shocking. That has to be yeah, while we were recording because that I did not see that before. No, yeah, that's been announced for a little bit. Might have to cut that earlier, but yeah, he had a hell of a year. Uh, he's been in the running for it for for a while now. Each year he's been a candidate, so they finally gave it to him. Um, that might be the award for him and moving forward. I, I don't know if he'll beat Bergeron's record of four, but he's only 25 years old, man. He's not going anywhere. He's an absolute stud. And then. Um, Coach of the year was given to Brindamore in Carolina. Yep. Well-deserved, but I don't know if I'll ever be a believer in them. I feel like they have a good regular season, and then they just keep losing in the playoffs, getting bounced early. Um, yeah, we'll have to see. And don't worry, Mark, I also fucked up what the Ted Lindsay Award is. That's the MVP voted on by the players. Right. Um, the Spirit Award is the Lady Bing, which was already handed out to Jacob Slavin. Um, but we still have Calder, Hart, Norris, the Ted Lindsay, and the Vesna. Other ones that have been handed out, there was the William Ree Community Hero Award, which was handed out to um, a man by the name of Kevin Hogsden. Uh, the Masterson Trophy was handed out to Oscar Lindblom of the Flyers after he was second to um, Bobby Ryan last year. There was the Messier Leadership Award. That went to P- Patrice Bergeron. Um, the, the King Clancy award, which was for humanitarian contributions was to Pekka Rene, the GM of the year, which I think, you know, I don't know how many times he's won it, but is Lou, Lou Lamarillo, which not a shock to me. Is it a shock to you, Mark? Oh, no, I, I thought, and we've touched on this. He made some great moves in the trade deadline, um, picking up some guys from Jersey and then just crafting the, that team the way he did, yeah, and Islanders, I don't know if, like, does how you do in the playoffs, um, like, have any effect on how these awards are given? I don't think so. I think they're like baseball. They're voted on at the end of the regular season and then just announced later. Because baseball definitely doesn't because one of the years Ryan Howard won his MVP, or one of his two years. Um, oh, no, he only won it once. Jimmy Rollins won the next year. But when Ryan Howard won MVP... Albert Pujols won the World Series, and that's who he was, you know, was probably the, the closest to him. And you'd think Albert Pujols leading a team to winning a World Series would have done it. So I think hockey's the same way. Probably. But 
yeah, playoffs definitely helped his cause. So, yeah, like you said, the rest of the awards we got here, and I think I'll just name them off, and I think there's only one that is debatable of who gets it. But I would agree, yeah. The Calder, you got Kaprizov, you got uh, Carolina's goalie. Novelogic. Yeah, and then Jason, Robert, Jason Robertson, Dallas. That's Robertson had a hot – yeah, he had a hot – Second half of the season, I feel like he's just tough to name. It's like last year with Makar and with Quinn Hughes, where Quinn Hughes had that unreal run for a while, and it went to Makar. Um, I think it's. I think you're right. It's Kapritsov's to lose. If he did, it'd be some sort of political thing. But one thing to note on Robertson, I mean, he, this is an American kid born in California, six foot three, twenty one years old. Maybe he makes a Team USA. I don't know. Maybe not next year but in the future we could see his name pop up more and more um but yeah just usa just cranking out more young guys love it oh yeah great what else we got for the awards got the heart which i feel like is i feel like it's pretty easy is this one of the ones you think is debatable nope it's not the one but the candidates are mckinnon austin matthews connor mcdavid obviously connor mcdavid 100 point season it's got to go to him. It has to go to him. I know Greg would probably argue with us about Austin Matthews and what he did, and that's also super impressive, too, that he scored over 40 goals in, in a 58-game season, but McDavid 100 points and basically just carrying the team on his back to uh, to a playoff appearance, and granted, no wins, but playoffs don't matter for this award. I do think for the Ted Lindsay Award, candidates of Matthews and McDavid are the same, but Crosby substitutes McKinnon, which I think is interesting because the players vote on that. So players obviously felt that Crosby was more deserving than uh, McKinnon. Yeah, I don't know if that's something that they heard a lot of people questioning the Penguins and what they had to go through where he was hurt a little bit. They clearly were struggling without him. Malkin was hurt a little bit and, you know, he played okay uh, and then really turned it on and and the Penguins, it's not that he carried them in that you know last month and a half to get into the playoffs because they were pretty safely there. But the fact that even us, you know, as little as we are in the podcast world, we were joking around with the trade Crosby talk, and it went from that to them winning their division. So I feel like the players respected that. A guy who's been in the league forever, giving him some credit there. If you, if you check the tape, I'll go on record right now. I, I promise you I never said trade Crosby, that they should do that. That is just... We had, an episode, we had an episode called Trade Crosby Question Mark. <laughs> it's like our second or third I, episode of the season. That I might have great. missed that one. Okay. All right. Um, I did, but there were a lot of jokes about it. You know, the, obviously, the big one, Spin Chicklets, free shout out there. Obviously, they're much bigger than us. And you don't listen to them. You should. But they were joking about that, too. And, and I feel like that was, it was everywhere. You know, Jim Rutherford retired out of nowhere. Then they hire Burke and Hextall, and people aren't sure what's going to happen. People are thinking they need to trade Malkin if Crosby wants to leave and you want to give him one last opportunity. I think players probably heard that sort of stuff, uh, and you know they're giving him a nod there. I think it's something they figure McKinnon will have plenty more opportunities to turn the league at least into his to split with McDavid, but the players probably gave him a little nod, and the writers gave McKinnon more of a nod that way. Yeah, and then... The other one is Vesna with Flurry, Grubauer on Avalanche, and then Vasilevsky. I think. What do you think wins that? I, I I know my pick. I think it's Vasilevsky. I think he. You know, we were just talking about how the regular season for them, you know, wasn't 
the greatest. It wasn't two years ago, of course, but I still think that that he's clearly one of the best goalies, or he is the best goalie right now in the world, and you know continues to prove that time and time again. Whether it's the regular season, whether it's the playoffs, which I know we just talked about, doesn't really matter. But a guy who really just put up incredible numbers. I know that uh, Nadjelovic and Grubauer had and Flurry all had under two goals against averages, which are insane. Vasilevsky, with a team that kind of had an up and down season, was able to put together some really impressive numbers. He had more wins than Fleur, than Flurry, more wins than Grubauer. Flurry, remember, he was splitting time with Robin Leonard. He had a better save percentage than Grubauer. He had uh, no, uh, and he had less shutouts. Okay, never mind there. Uh, but still, an incredible season from him. A two-two-one save percent, uh, a two-two-one goals against average, nine nine twenty-five save percentage. I think a guy he played the most games of all three of them. I think he, which as we've learned from other MVP votings, that's what matters the most. But he did it all, and his team is in the final. I know that doesn't matter, and the votes probably already happened. But I feel like Vasilevsky gets the you know the credit that probably is owed to him there. I think he played I mean, the best, even without the numbers there. He he held his team, and you know their backups didn't really need to play because he played fucking forty two games. I mean, leading the NHL in wins for four straight seasons in a row. I mean, come on, yeah. Granted, Tampa Bay is stacked, but that stat in itself, four years in a row, the consistency there is only twenty six years old. I mean, this guy's if he keeps this pace up, he's going to go down as one of the best. Yeah, I totally agree. And yeah, again, like you mentioned it of like Tampa's a stacked team and you could make that argument about like, you could, I guess about if Nijelovic was nominated here and what he did, but he only played 23 games. So we can throw that out or like Chris Dreger, who also only played 23 games and like had unreal numbers or UC Soros, who you know, the predators made the playoffs and they almost got, you know, close through this, through the first round. Um, but like, all three teams for all three nominees are unreal teams. Like you and I had each of the two other teams as our Stanley cup winner. I had the, the avalanche unit, you with the golden Knights. So you can't like make that argument and throw it away when this guy, like you mentioned it has led the league in, in wins for four years in a row. And it's not like baseball wins where it's just, you have to check a couple boxes. He's in there for all of it. He had t- over 2,500 minutes on the ice, which is almost 200 more than, than, Grubauer did, which makes sense because it's two more games. Like, it's just nuts of how much this guy is fucking logged in terms of mileage and is still getting it done. And again, like, the votes probably happened before the playoffs, but he's still standing on his head here. So he's not getting grinded down. Greg talks about that all the time of needing a 1B to do it. Vasilevsky doesn't need that. So he should be a clear and cut vote for Vazzy. Give him that Vesna if you, I guess, if the votes haven't already happened. But that's why there's finalists. It's because they already had some some form of a vote. Yeah, and then just wrapping this up, the one award I thought was debatable is the Norris Trophy for Best yep. Defenseman. And Roman Yossi won that last year on the Nashville Predators. This year, the finalists are Adam Fox, New York Rangers, Victor Hedman, who we've talked about, we all know who he plays for, and then Cal McCarr on the Colorado Avalanche. Now, I'll give you my take. I mean, Cal McCarr, Cal McCarr I think is the most electric defenseman in the league and most fun to watch but the thing that's hurting him here is he got hurt and only played 40 
something games, 44 games, games and where in a point per game, which is that's wise up there. Headman and Fox each played or Headman played 54 games. Fox played 55. So that pad helps pad their stats a little bit. I mean, I think if the players voted for this, Victor Headman would be clear cut winner. That's the best. I think that was like a vote. They did a player's vote this year. Who's the okay. best defenseman. And they did choose Headman, but what do you think, Jordy? I mean, I'll give you my prediction after you, but I think what hurts Fox is his team didn't make the playoffs. But does that have anything to do with this? I don't think it should because he was plus 19. You know, he, In terms of plus minus, which I feel like obviously points matter and, and all that sort of stuff. But he, of the three of them, he was plus 19, 47 points in 55 games. Headman was plus 5, 45 points in 54 games. McCarr was plus 17, 44 points in 44 games. Um, the headman had more goals. He had nine goals. Fox only had five. McCarr had eight. Um, they all get their share of power play time. They all take a good amount of shots with, um, Adam Fox actually leading the way in that with, with, uh, over, or not actually, I'm looking at blocks there. Adam Fox, uh, to, to this point of, he logs time both on, well, actually all three of them on the power play on the shorthand and getting involved in that way. I think should matter a lot. I feel like that block shots category is a big one there because Fox is a good puck-moving defenseman and, and can skate it up himself like Kel McCarr can, but it really does play that very defensive style. And having that big plus-minus, not a ton of penalty minutes, which is also pretty huge. He only had 14, whereas Hedman had 28. McCarr had 12 in 11 less games, so you got to think he takes a few more penalties there. Um, I guess the big thing you could say is that he doesn't hit as much. He had almost half the hits Fox did than Hedman. And, and while he had 30 more block shots, he also had 30 less shots on goal. So that's probably where the debate comes in. Fox being, you know, kind of that, I don't want to say, def, you know, defensive defenseman's a little too put it in one box or the other because he does move the puck pretty well, at least watching him and see how he does there and, and just seeing how young he is. Um, but I agree with you. If Kel McCarr wasn't hurt, it's his to lose. Uh, it's probably going to be Hedman if I'm going to, if I'd place a wager on it, but you know, this might be one of those opportunities. They give it to Fox thinking, well, actually it could go either way. They don't give it to Fox because they figure he's so young. He'll be here again, or they give it to him to award, you know, a young guy going toe to toe in a tough division and, you know, being, you know, a bright spot to a team. And obviously Panarin and Sabanajad turned it on towards the end too. But a guy that throughout the whole season was playing really well. So maybe maybe it goes that way. But I think it's going to be Hedman. Yeah, I, I hope. I think it's going to be Hedman too. I hope it's Fox. He is an American guy. Another young stud for the American uh, Olympics coming up. But yeah, the last American to win the Norris, last American defenseman was ironically a New York Ranger, uh, Brian Leach. Back it's been in that long? 96-97 season, Holy yeah. shit. So, they're due. It's been wow. a while. And hope he wins. I didn't, I mean... It's kind of crazy he, that other guys weren't nominated. Like, Dougie Hamilton, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast. But Jeff Petrie, he got he got hurt in the playoffs, but the regular season was awesome. He was leading the, he was leading defensemen in points forever, and I guess because he got hurt towards the end of the season, they, they nixed him for that. But a guy who clearly makes a big difference, going back to... The point of this show is the Stanley Cup Finals. He makes a huge difference when he's on the ice. Um, John Carlson, though, I guess because he 
had a negative plus minus. That's probably why he didn't get enough to be a finalist. If I had to guess. Yeah, didn't he win it recently? Um, I thought he might have. Maybe he didn't. No, it was I don't Yossi think he and has. Giordano. Yeah. Hebben already has it three years ago. But, yeah, I think they might give it to him. Fox is going to have a chance again. Yeah, he'll have a chance. That's probably what it is. He'll have a chance, and they'll they'll give it to Hebben as a, you know, oh, the, the guy gets it here. Which is, you know, good for him that he won the Consmite last year. Remember, I remember this watching the game that people thought he got hurt in that final round robin game. He like left the ice against the Flyers. Then he came back and was just obviously unreal. He won the Con Smythe, but just like a man on a mission, the whole team. Um, but yeah, that's I'm looking at this now. I guess because Lidstrom had such a stranglehold on the trophy, that's why it's been so long. You know, if you're like trying to think of good American defensemen, um, nuts. The did Pronger only win one? Yeah, he did. Holy shit. It's just nuts looking at this. This is great radio, but... uh name is Niedemeyer, who's like one of the best D of all time. Yeah, exactly. He And yeah, he did, yeah, Lidstrom won it the year that Niedermeyer won Con Smythe when they won, won, he won the cup with the Ducks. I mean, it's just nuts to think about. Seven fucking trophies. Holy shit for Lidstrom. Um, <laughs> Brent Burns, another guy that... I, I don't know what happened with him and the Sharks, but... Name is Carlson. Yeah. It's nuts. Um, I don't know. It'll be, that's going to be a race to, that's going to be fun to follow for the next few years between how good Fox has been, how good we know and confirmed that Kel McCart is. You know, Quinn Hughes, you got to f- figure he has a bounce back at some point is up there. Uh, it's going to be fun. And you're right. I think that's probably the the most controversial. Greg might argue the heart. Um, but that's, that's what makes it good. And, and a rich field and a number of different guys that'll be up there for the foreseeable future, which is always what you want to see. Definitely. And do you want to move on to ESPN? Yeah. So I mentioned it that ESPN has been talking about hockey a little more. They had Subban come on some show that Stephen A hosts. This is the same like set that he's on. that he did the one where he was yelling about hockey when they first got the deal back, but ESPN officially announcing their full lineup. They announced a few of them right before this, like Chelios got announced over the weekend. They've announced their full lineup and it is awesome to see all these different people on there. They have a number of different women on there too. They got AJ uh, Moretzko. Am I pronouncing her name right? She's been a color commentator on NBC for a few years now. They got Hillary Knight, which I'm shocked they got her. That's awesome to see. Um, they've grabbed, they've grabbed Blake Bolden, who I think she's done some writing for ESPN for the last couple of years. Uh, Cassie Campbell Pascal, who's a, you know, great, a great Canadian that's been on their team forever. Uh, they announced their whole play by play team did not include Gary Thorne, but they did include him in a two minute bumper that they showed the history of hockey on the, on ESPN. Now, Mark, before we jump into the, the other people, the Gary Thorne not being announced is a complete travesty. Do we think ESPN might try to scoop him up later? Or do we think TNT sees how much people want him and they're going to try to get him? Somebody's going to pick him up, but he's not retired. Is he like the demand is there? The demand's there. I think he's like unofficially retired because he doesn't work for the Orioles anymore. But I think he said he's if they want him, he'll do it. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the only guys who, who's got a better voice than you, Jordy. So somebody's going to pick him <laughs> up, right? I appreciate that. There are a lot of guys that are out there. Um, but... But this... Some names that jump out to me, like I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Steve Levy do play-by-play. Uh, and then who else? They got 
some Steve big names. Steve does college hockey. So does Butchergrass. Those, those guys yeah. are going to be fun to watch. Guys like Chris Chelios. I've never heard him in an analyst position. Um, yeah, Mac, the only one, I've only Mark heard Messier. Him, I've only heard Chelios interviews, and they're electric. So him in studio is going to be fun, I think. Mark Messier, Rick DiPietro, Chelios. DiPietro. Uh, DiPietro is the one that sticks out to me like a sore thumb. I am shocked that that guy is still like, still like on the face of the earth. I thought that guy <laughs> retired with the millions and millions of dollars he made from the Islanders and like bought an island and would ne- we never see or hear from him again. That is going to be one crazy dude to hear from. He might still be getting. He's getting paid until the 2028-2029 season. Oh, it's like Bobby Bonilla? Is that kind of a deal? The Islanders are continuing to pay him out till 2028-29. Holy shit. That, maybe he's just spending a lot of money. Maybe his mortgage is a couple mil a year. That's why he's he needs a job. <laughs> oh, my. It was, I mean, it was a 15-year, $67 million contract. It's is. Um, I know Carter's mega deal he signed with the Flyers is like, that's still going. And I think it expires either this year or next year. Like, I think he might still be on contract from when he got from the Flyers right after they went to the Stanley Cup finals. Um, that's nuts. Those mega deals that Co- that Kovalchuk made the NHL change are insane. Insane. We um, could do a whole podcast on that. But oh, yeah. Yeah, this is, this is exciting. I mean, I've heard, like, I don't know if you've noticed it, I didn't really notice it, but I've heard people talking about how, like, um, what do you call it? Uh, NBC hasn't really been, you know, having their A game with the Stanley Cup Finals going on right now. Have you noticed anything? I mean, they they are done after this. This is their last time being affiliated with the NHL. But can you see, like, the writing on the wall for them and them not really doing what they've done in the past? I don't know. They they still have some of the same crew out there. I mean, obviously, they have the guys – and, and women coming into the studio and, and hosting things surprisingly no Catherine Tappan on here. So you're wondering, did Turner scoop her up and do they have a deal? They just haven't announced yet. Um, they do. We, speaking of NBC people though, and I'll come back to answer your question. We didn't even mention Boucher, Ferraro, Kevin Weeks, guys that have been in studio for them. Two of them during this year. Uh, Kevin Weeks hasn't been, I don't think he's been there for a couple of years. They've had uh Anson Carter. NHL Network. Yeah, NHL Network, that's what it is, okay. Uh, but he used to be at NBC. But to answer your question, I don't know, It's Kenny Albert's been doing hockey for a few years for NBC, so he's been around. Um, the fact that it was kind of weird because Emmerich retired last year and you weren't exactly sure who was going to fill in his shoes. So I don't know if it's just there's that giant gap to try to fill in there. Or however this shook up, but it is weird. We talked about the graphics and all the different stuff that they were holding on to until the playoffs to unleash, which, you know, are fine. They're, you know, whatever. Um, But yeah, it's, it is something that you have to wonder, like their last couple broadcasts, how are those going to go? Like, are they even going to try to like give them some sort of like swan song goodbye to, to the NHL or are they... Just going to kind of be like, all right, good night and good luck. And, you know, you might think that Catherine Tappan or somebody editorializes her final sign off or something like that. But I don't know. It is it is a really interesting question to bring up of how are they going to finish this all out? Because they've still they still hold on. You know, they still obviously do their best with it. But 
I don't know. It, this was something for that next or off-season podcast, What depending on what, what podcast we do next with Greg. If we do an update or if we just do a, a wrap-up of what will the legacy be of NBC with hockey. And I don't know what it's going to be, especially with the next topic that we have with the Olympics. But I feel like we're going to know them more for Olympic coverage than the 15 or 16 seasons that we had at the NHL. And I don't know. There was It was a good run at times. I wasn't always the biggest fan of their coverage. I just thought they could have done better. And I guess to your point, they're really not doing better now at the end of it. And why should they? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I asked. I haven't been watching because I recorded the game last night and just ripped through commercials and then in, intermission. But I wonder what they're going to do with guys I mean, like Keith Jones. I think he worked for the Flyers back in the day. Keith Jones, Eddie well, Olchek. So he, so he still Aaron does. Blyer. Jones, he still he rotates between being the color man for the Flyers and then doing NBC SN games. And people are wondering, is he like – because Comcast obviously owns both um, – so people are wondering, is he leaving Philly? Is he going to go to TNT? What's going to happen there? Um, or is he just going to stay with the Flyers full-time? They had Scott Hartnell doing the games that Jonesy wasn't doing, or Bill Clement when he'd step in every once in a while. That's going to be a really big big question because he's you know, had this national presence. So you have to wonder, we need to see more of the TNT roster, I guess, is really what this boils down to. But they've had a number of different people come in and out of NBC. Obviously, some had contra- were controversial controversial when they got hired some had controversial endings it'll be really interesting to see what happens here but i don't know i feel like their legacy is a hockey the hockey broadcasting network i don't know i feel like this isn't a good way to end it on but there never really was i guess a good way to do it i don't know yeah i don't know greg could probably he's got i know he's got a lot of opinions on this but i mean the game has grown while they've been doing it. So they've, they've had to have done something right. Right. The sport of hockey has grown in the past 15, 20 years. I guess so. But I, I think that's more of just like the players that were in there. You you hear like Austin Matthews talk about that. He like got really locked into hockey because he was at the game where Ovechkin scored the uh, on his back goal and all that sort of stuff. I feel like you're not like the fact that these games, like Greg gets worried that they're going to like bury Stanley Cup final games on ESPN2. Like, game one of the Stanley Cup final was on NBCSN instead of putting it on regular NBC or something, you know, something bigger than just NBCSN, which I feel like like they're changing up all that they're doing with that. And maybe that's NBC and, and Comcast, frankly, admitting, like, we kind of, you know, we never really figured out what we wanted to do with this. And, hockey struggled because of that i get what you're saying the game grew so there's you know they get some credit but i feel like it's credit from like they're the guy in the the project that like did the minimal effort i feel like they could have done a lot more to boost it yeah i mean i i i agree yeah i don't have much more to comment on and i I, other than growing the game and sliding into the olympics and now batman did a little sneaky announcement last night that greg texted us about um during game one of the stanley cup uh, saying that the Olympics, the upcoming 2020 Winter Olympics in Beijing are in jeopardy. Uh, I'll quote him. He says, we don't know as of right now. Uh, we have real concerns about whether or not it's sensible to have our players participating and us shutting down for Olympic break. Um, he has a, he talks about the pandemic and how it's not ideal. And the season's coming up. They're making, they're making the schedule right now with the Winter Classic and the All-Star Game. Like They have to decide this soon, and they're running out of time. And that, it just worries me because – 
that's part of that's part of what drew me to the game when I was a little kid. I mean, watching the Olympics, watching um, Team USA versus Canada, like those with NHL guys in it. That there was nothing better than that when I was a kid. I think the last time they played what was 2014. Yeah, that that was what I was going to say is probably the lasting image of hockey on NBC. And granted, they still have the Olympics, but is TJ Oshie against the Russians and continuously coming in for that shootout. Now, in terms of these Olympics, I guess they're really just leaning into that it's the pandemic and we need to figure all that sort of stuff out and, and blah, 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 you know, which obviously is a thing for the upcoming Olympics right now, uh, the Summer Olympics that start in less than a month of things with the pandemic and people wanting to boycott and all this different shit. Um, it's kind of weird that it was announced that they were going to allow it, but they never they never officially did it, I guess. It was announced in good faith that they'd hammer out everything with the IOC. So I, it seems just like a lot of kind of the same thing of like sitting around kind of twiddling your thumbs, waiting for something to happen. Like the, Bevan is... It's crazy because he was in a spot to like really, in terms of like power rank the the commissioners of like really jump up with how big Manfred's fucked up the MLB and all the stuff with you know, crazy shit the sticky substances the COVID, their COVID handling you know Goodell being Goodell and then Adam Silver really firmly locking on to number one Batman like had a real opportunity to like jump into number two and this like this pisses off diehard hockey fans like you and me. It pisses off Olympic fans that only watch hockey during the Olympics. It pisses off casual sports fans that only watch hockey during the Olympics. Like, it probably didn't two years ago unless you were, like, of German descent because the German team had this improbable run to the gold medal game. Like, I don't know. It, it's it's something crazy that, like... And I guess on the other side of it, too, with women, considering our women's teams have always been able to go and, and the, the top players of that they have all this different stuff they're trying to work out with trying to get their pro league really solidified and all this different stuff of like, they're going to be able to go. And the NHL once again is like really missing on an opportunity. I get there's money that can be figured out and all this stuff, but it just seems like a real missed opportunity. If you let this fall, fall to the ground and to give kind of the aw shucks, like we don't know, like not a, we're working as hard as we can here to try to make this happen. I don't know. It really just puts a, a negative taste in my mouth with it. Yeah, and the ironic ironic thing is, what what what's their job? To grow the game, to get more revenue. And yeah, that's a problem for the Olympics. They're, they're trying to squeeze in an 82-game season next year, and they don't get – I don't think they get any money back from, from letting their best players go across the world. But what better market is there than, than China to grow the game? I mean, it's an yeah. investment. Yeah, they might miss out on revenue in the short term, but long term, you don't know what could happen. I think that's a risk worth taking if you could get more fans, millions of people to fall in love with hockey. And you want the best, you want them to be able to see the best product. I didn't really well, it's even best watch. for the global game, too, because the KHL started to make their way into there. And you'd figure that would accelerate the fact if they had NHL players there and they become more popular with that sort of thing. Like, how many. Team, I know a few do. I don't know how many NBA teams go over to China every year. The Sixers did a couple years ago. I think the Celtics have a couple different times. Like, and how much money do they make off of that? I, I really don't know. But, like, if the NHL could have those kinds of tours eventually in playing, whether it's CHL, Chinese Hockey League, whatever they want to call it, or KHL teams with a presence in China playing those games, like, 
that's also another great way to do it. And to, you have to get the demand there first. And to have those great games seems like the layup to do, but Batman's fumbling this once again. I mean, do you even, do you even remember watching 2018 Team USA? Like Ryan Gianta, Chris Bork. I like, think I watched, Troy, I watched way Matt more Gilroy. of the women's games because they were really good. I, I think I watched like a little bit of the men's tournament here and there. I definitely was following it because that because of that German story and because I enjoy the sport of hockey. But it was more it was more desirable to like know when the women's team was playing because they were good <laughs> and we were a favorite because we had fucking good players. And with like it, the the NHL team or the USA team having dudes that were either playing in Europe, the AHL or college kids, like it was just oh yeah, like I guess I might tune in and see how they do. It's not the same as the it's as world juniors where it's like, you know, prospects for the flyers or in just in general, NHL prospects. And it's exciting to watch that even when the, the USA isn't heavily favored, but still wins. Shout out you team USA. They're like, it just, I didn't really, I'd probably watch some. I honestly don't remember Mark. I remember watching the women's team. Yeah. I mean, I remember the Germany run, but I'll just make an analogy of, of summing this all up. If, if you're an NHL video game fan, you ever done like franchise mode and there's like the free agent period in between seasons and you see the list of guys that nobody's picking up. The computer doesn't even want to pick these people up. That's who the team USA roster was. That's great. Uh, That's a like great analogy. James Wisniewski, Brian Gianta, Chris Bork, et cetera. So don't want that to happen again. I think they should go over there. It's my favorite hockey to watch with that giant ice and, you know, the having your pride of your country playing and, and the Russia, uh, Canada, Sweden, Finland, USA's seeing who's the best. I love that stuff. I, I like it more than the NHL and it only happens every four years. So hope they figure it out. Like do, I guess is it, they might have a little say in it, but like this hockey, Canada, USA hockey, like the Swedish Federation, Russian Federation, like how much say do they get in this? Do you have any idea? I, I'm not sure. I don't know yeah. enough to comment. I mean, I think it really comes down to the NHL and the owners. I mean, they it's their product. It's their players. It's their investment. They pay yeah, these what's their face? The Islanders owner when Tavares got hurt in 2014. I think that was that was a pretty big hit for it. Yeah, well, it's not about them. It's it's about the fans. And, and uh, it's I don't know. I Hopefully the players, but it's not like the players can like, strike because all the rest of the guys then won't get paid like the yeah, rest of the exactly. guys in the nhl so it, i don't know I, i'm not it's not my job to figure out but as a fan just hope they they do well who but, cares about the fans i guess that was sorry. <laughs> um mark anything else before we wrap this thing up no no closing thoughts all right well thank you for doing this as always man this is a blast i hope we get to check in one last time before the series ends, but who knows with the 4th of July coming up, how that all goes. So if this is the last time before we do, we'll definitely do a recap and a little stories to watch out for. But uh, Mark, this has been a blast of a season if we don't get to talk before the wrap up. Yeah, I mean, I hope we do next week. We get Greg in here and we talk about you know, games two, three, and four. We'd love to do that. Hopefully that it's not a sweep by then. Yeah, I hope so too. And, and we'll have to see what happens there, but Everybody, thank you for listening. Let us know what you think. If you're rooting for the Canadians, let us know why you think we are wrong. Follow us on Twitter, ThunderBLG. Subscribe to the podcast, The Bullpen Cart, wherever you get your podcasts. Thunderbug Sports on Instagram, all that good stuff. But for my man, Mark Higgins, I am Jordy Cannell. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the 4th of July. And go hockey. Peace.
Peace.